Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. I am totally freaking stoked to be here today with a woman who um, is sharing a powerful message around learning to slow down in life so that we can speed up our acceleration in personal development and in business. Um, My dear friend, Sandy Vo is a meditation teacher, brand, and lifestyle strategist, the host of Super Conscious Soul Podcast, and co-founder of women's empowerment company, Ladies Aligned. Sandy leverages the power of meditation and tools of self-care to help multi-passionate high performers like your girl become conscious leaders, tap into their unique gifts, unlock their creativity, and create their own wildly successful reality on their own terms without burnout. So Sandy, it sounds like you are like someone that I really need more of in my, in my life. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was a really beautiful introduction. Yes. Well, I'm so excited to share this space with you. The, our connection, you guys, was one of those um, synchronicities. My mm-hmm. friend, Naya Kete, who you guys may remember, she's a musician and social activist, connected Sandy and I um, through the Intergram Instagram, Instagram, <laughs> interwebs, Instagram, um, a couple weeks ago. And it was so cool because Sandy was one of those people who I had Insta stalked a little bit behind the scenes. Like I'd seen her, I'd followed, um, ladies aligned. I knew she had an event, but it was like, I didn't really know her. So it felt like one of those beautiful synchronicities when you landed in my, in my DMS. I didn't know that. It's always yeah. nice to, to know things like that. I love it. Surprise! <laughs> I try to keep it to myself when I do a lot of Instagram. You know what I mean? I'm like, I was like, keep that at least until our second date. So this is our second date. This is our second date. Yeah. So, so I want to talk just a little bit about what you do because I noticed that, you know, you said that you help multi-passionate high performers. Mm-hmm. And I, as soon as I hear that, um, I immediately go, well, I know I'm multi-passionate, but I'm, I don't think I'm a high performer. So I would, I don't know her face, you guys, you can't do it. Like, ah. um, so do you, who do you, do you find that your ideal clients um, identify themselves as high performers or successful entrepreneurs, or do you feel like people show up with a little bit of that, what I call just being human? Other people call it imposter syndrome, but I call it just being human. Yeah, for sure. I I feel like there are probably a lot of high performers that don't know that they're high performers. So I would love to break that down. So to me, I consider myself a high performer, but I do it in a way where it's balanced and it's efficient because I was an ex 
insomniac and a high performer, meaning I would juggle so many jobs um, within a given time frame. I always felt like I had some something to do. My to-do list was always super long. I felt like if I could hit a goal, then I would get a high off of it. And then once I would reach that goal, I would have another goal. So it was like the benchmark kept moving and I kept chasing, I kept having something to chase and it didn't feel like it was ever enough. So the thing that I find with a lot of high performers is that we like to achieve and we have goals and we're so good at what it is that we do. So you might be listening to this right now and you have an amazing nine to five job that pays you really good money. You're great at what you do and you love what you do, but then you're not in love with it. And typically what happens is with high performers, it's like we wear masks on that aren't even ours. And then we spend our lives taking action that isn't in alignment, so we get exhausted. And so what happens is, especially with my one-on-one clients, they'll be the clients that have, you know, they have multiple six figures in their business. They have great um, family photos on social media. They always look like they're put together. They're traveling, they're speaking, they're doing all those nice things. However, behind the scenes, they're so overwhelmed. They're so exhausted. And then when they go into the outside world, it's like, Oh, your family's so perfect. How do I, how do I get my family like that? Or like, how do you do it? How do you do it all? Like, how do you have it all and keep it all together? And, and they have to, you're not seeing the meltdowns at night, right. night when everybody's crying and somebody's pissed. Cause like <laughs> they've had the childcare and the meal prep for weeks on end. I'm not talking about myself. Or anything. <laughs> but yeah, I feel that. I feel that on a deep level. So how do you feel like you, you help these people? I help them bridge the gap between their outer goals and the inner work. And the inner work is really um, part of yoga science. And I love that you're a yoga teacher, Amelia. Uh, So yoga, the Sanskrit word for yoga is union, and it means to yoke. So if you think of an egg, it's kind of like that. And it's a union between your outer world and your inner world. So right now we have an outer world of thoughts, of actions, and deeds, of deeds that rule us, that kind of like dictate the things that we do. And then we also have an inner world of wisdom, of infinite consciousness, of potential, of groundedness and bliss. And what happens is when we do not have a bridge or union between our outer world and our inner world, there becomes a disharmony. So we start acting and operating from a place of misalignment. So for example, um, if you are someone that is like the person that I described before, you might find that you, it's so easy to get resentful. You're so bitter about things easily. You get irritated. Your kid might say one thing to you and you might freak out on them. And that's not what you want to be or who you want to be, but you've been operating from a place of misalignment from your inner wisdom for so long that that's what you know. And so what we do in the practice of yoga is we bridge those gaps and we really start listening to our buddy. So buddy is a Sanskrit word for conscience. And if you break the word conscience down at, um, you know, in Latin, it means with science. Mm-hmm. So really all we are is we're yoga scientists learning how to navigate our thoughts, our outer world of thoughts, actions, and deeds with our inner world. And the more that we learn how to navigate that, utilizing our conscience, learning how to listen to our inner wisdom, and then taking aligned action, that's when we start feeling better. And then our outer world becomes a direct reflection of our inner world. And it becomes easier to, quote unquote, manifest the life that it is that we want. 
So it starts from the inside out and not the other way around. And the thing with high performers is we will plug into the systems, the strategies, the funnels, and we'll do all that first. Mm-hmm. And then we burn out and then we listen to, we do the inner work and then we seek meditation. Mm-hmm. But what I want to introduce is the whole concept of slowing down to speed up. Because if you can start with the inner work, everything else starts falling into place. And it literally feels like everything's sped up to match exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would love to hear a little bit, <clears throat> you know, I know that for years, even though I've, been practicing yoga for 17 years, teaching for eight years, um, thousands of hours of trainings. But for years, even though I knew all of this stuff intellectually, I really, really, really struggled to to apply it. Um, And I think that there's a lot of people who feel that way. And I think a big part of it is our conditioning because we're conditioned into two main things that I think have an adverse effect on this optimal state of being that you're talking about. One is we're conditioned in the United States anyway, into rugged individualism, right? So we do not, we do not, um, put merit in community, but we are like, you've got to be able to do it yourself. We say, yeah, you know, they're self-made or they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps or like who even knows what bootstraps are, by the way, it doesn't matter. (laughs) But um, So that's one is the rugged individualism and that being something that we really valorize. And then the other is the um, very masculine, linear, A to B, get shit done, task-oriented model of success, right? Mm -hmm. Get more, have more, do more, be more. And I feel like what I'm hearing you say is like, it's insatiable. There's not actually an external, um, you know, limit or there's, there's not in, there will never be enough. If you're trying to fill yourself up from these external, uh, factors, it, it will not work. And I will say that, like, I know that experientially, I know that that's true because in year five of my business, as I'm breaking that $20,000 a month consistent mark, and I'm looking around going, can I get these speaking gigs? Can I get this? Can I get that? More clients, more this, more that, expand more employees. It's not, I'm, there's still something that is unfulfilled. And so it's like this year has been a process of healing integration and exactly what you're teaching and talking about Mm. of learning how to slow down to speed up. Mm. But I, I, what I'd love to hear from you is with this culture that rewards rugged individualism and that rewards um, harder, better, faster, stronger. How do we recognize the need before we get to burnout? Like what are some of the symptoms we can look for or how can people, how can we help ourselves wake up before everything falls apart? Hmm. I always say that self-care is being self-aware. So I don't believe in any kind of one size fits all. And I believe that every person is unique to themselves. And what's important is 
at one given moment in time, something might have made a lot of sense to you. Like maybe when you first started practicing yoga, that made a lot of sense to you, that helped you to heal a lot of wounds um, at that point in time. However, as you progress forward and you're introducing all these other streams into your life and your business, things might start feeling out of alignment. And so self-care is being self-aware, being aware of your higher self and your needs and being aware also of your own inner child. And what happens when we become more self-aware is we, we start noticing things. Awareness does so much to help us function on a daily basis. Whenever I'm about to make a decision on something, or maybe someone asks me to do something, or maybe to you know participate in one of the programs they have or, or whatever that is, and if something feels out of alignment for me, my body will communicate that to me first. So I'll feel a little bit of tightness in my chest. I'll feel a little bit uneasy. I'll feel a little bit heavy. Um, I'll, I'll feel like I can't really breathe really clearly. Um, I know then that my body is responding to me and telling me that this opportunity or whatever this is, it's not in alignment for me. And I just need to listen to that response. So even if you don't know how to listen to your intuition yet or your gut and you're not used to doing that, your mind and your body and your spirit are all connected. And so when you get that visceral response in your body and it's telling you no, 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 but your mind, it, because it's conditioned and your ego has been conditioned and your personality has been conditioned by the conditions of, the, of our society, the beliefs that we've adopted from our parents and everything else growing up, the mind is like, oh, but I want to please you. So I'm going to go and do that. I'll do it. Okay. Yes. Yes. When it's really like, no, no, no. And so the more that we keep up with that, the more pain that we start feeling first very subtly and then literally physically so you start manifesting it in your own body wherever it is so you know when you become more aware of this you know, a lot of women what i found struggle with speaking their truth and so what ends up happening is they start getting um things with their throats either some kind of a thyroid disease some kind of a issue with their throat where they're not able to speak clearly. And that's all a sign of years and years and years of suppression of their own voices. And so when we can practice having awareness and understanding what it is that our body is communicating to us, we can more easily listen and take action so that we can help our vessel out a little bit. So um, I wanna use a really quick example. I, I, when you do something that feels really good to you, and for me, when I do something that feels really good to me, I'm trying to think of a time recently where I was asked something. Okay. I was asked recently to join a network marketing company and um, be under someone. And I just didn't feel like it was in energetic alignment. And that person happened to be one of my best friends but something just didn't feel right to me. I didn't know why, like, it doesn't make sense. You know, she's my best friend. Why, why don't I want to do this? But it just didn't feel right to me. And so I could have pleased my best friend and I could have pleased my ego by showing up and being like, yeah, I want to do this whole network marketing thing with you. But if I did that, then I would be operating out of a place of misalignment or I could have a really tough conversation and say, that maybe where you are and where I'm at right now isn't an energetic fit for this particular opportunity. So I showed up and I had that hard conversation. 
And by having that hard conversation, it was able to help us detect places within our relationship that we needed some, some work on. And it helped us to create more clear boundaries as well. So even though it's really hard to speak your truth, what ends up happening is you start being a teacher for people around you to start looking at their own lives and boundaries in their own lives as well. And while you think that those people will no longer respect you or love you, and you think that it's going to rob you of a relationship or a friendship, it's the complete opposite. And that has been my experience every single time. Yeah, I pretty much live by the truth. Um, the truth always leads to freedom, even when we can't perceive it in the short term. And when we tell the truth, it's only when we tell the truth to other people that we can allow ourselves to actually be fully seen and heard and loved in the fullness of who we are because we're actually in truth. And one thing that can be so hard to remember, it's so hard to remember, but it is so deeply true, is that when it's not an energetic match for you, when it's not right for you, it's actually not right for them either. So there's no, we're not harming them we're it's good it's good for everyone right it's for the highest good and like there's this um there's this operational reality of that but when one person then steps out of their alignment it mm-hmm. it kind of can fuck it up for everyone for lack of a better word um, yeah i have to back it up a little bit because here's the thing everything you're saying is so good and so golden and so juicy And I know that there's an old version of me out there who's listening, who's just already about to turn off because she's like, look, my life's a big old freaking mess. And you guys are over here with your meditation and your successful businesses and all your stuff. So I need to know when we spoke before, I asked you, how did you get here? Why did you come to this path? And you mentioned that there had been some struggles growing up, that there was some addiction in your family. There were some patterns that maybe helped lead you to this search for self-awareness. So can you share with us a little bit about where you came from and what your understanding of suffering is that led you to where you are now? Mm, you like to go deep. Oh, let's, let's dig Gotta into go, all the juiciness. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up to immigrant parents. My mom is half African-American, half Vietnamese. My dad is half Indian, half Vietnamese. So I I'm always getting asked, what are you? Excuse me, but what are you? <laughs> that is such a rude question. Like, when did we decide that it was okay to say to people, what are you? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think that probably comes from my, my um, elementary school days for mm-hmm. sure. But it was all, it, you know, they're just like, You're, you just look so exotic. I want to know what you are. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up to immigrant parents. And I think that alone right there is a really interesting way to grow up in America because you just quickly assume responsibility already at a young age. And so for me, I was the oldest of two younger siblings and uh, I felt like I was taking the whole world on my shoulders by you know, paying, helping my parents, you know, to pay the bills or talking to a lawyer when they would try to rip my, you know, rip my talking as if I was a lawyer to other companies because they were trying to like rip my family off. And I was only 10 years old making these phone calls and sounding like a professional, you Mm -hmm. know, and I learned from a really young age. And I also knew how to be self-sufficient at a really young age. In when I was 16, my father left the family and this was a decision that was made because my mom was a gambaholic 
Um, she had always been a gambaholic from what I remembered. And uh, every single weekend, they had a really successful business, but every single weekend they would take this money from their business and we would go up to Atlantic City and they would just gamble away. And the car ride home would always be argument after argument and after argument. And so that was really challenging for me because I grew up with this belief that money is evil because money will break up relationships and money will break up uh, families and it's, it's evil. So when my father left, that was a wound of abandonment right there. And I had already felt abandoned by my mom because I felt like the addiction to gambling was running so, so deep that it affected the way that she was showing up in, in relationships. It was like she instead of making money to experience and enjoy her life with her family, it was like she was making money to take it and go to the casino only to win or lose more, but it would never be enough. Mm -hmm. And I would just observe all of this and decide that I decided that I didn't want to have any part of it. And I wanted to be self-sufficient. I wanted to take care of myself. So at 13, I had my first job as a waitress. And then I had just always worked you know, on my own and provided on my own, even though I could have relied on my parents, but I didn't feel like I could again because of the gambling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when my father left, it definitely created a wound of abandonment and depression for me that I didn't know that I had. So I would show up in the world and, you know, I would have my vibrant smile on and be super passionate about life. And I think people from the outside looking in, it probably seemed like I had it all together. I was going to school, going to college, you know, getting on honor rolls, like just doing all those things. And it got worse for me when I approached my first year of college. When I approached my first year of college, I found out some really devastating news. At the time that I was experiencing this abandonment from my father, the one person that I was confiding in was my cousin, Lena. And she was like the big sister that I never had. And are you a big sister, Amelia? I'm a little sister. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I have a big sister. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm a big sister, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're a big sister, I know you can feel me so hard on this, but like when you're, when you're a big sister, you try to carry so much on your shoulders because you want to play as a good role model for your siblings. And so I always wanted a bigger sister so that I could talk to you about all these things. And for me, Lena was my big sister mm -hmm. and in when I was approaching, you know, college, my freshman year, she had gotten diagnosed with leukemia. And um, I was there with her through the time that she was in the hospital. And we had a really close relationship. And in 2010, when I was about to go into college for my first year, I got a phone call. And it was, you know, Sandy, you need to get here now. She's not going to make it. And so I got there, you know, three hours too late and Alina left her body. And so that was devastating for me. And that just anchored into more of that wound of abandonment. Mm -hmm. So that played a really, really heavy role for me. And then after that, I just started to dive into doing more because it meant that I didn't have to think and I didn't have to feel. So I filled up my calendar with, you know, three jobs while I was in college. I took full credits. I was also the VP of the American Marketing Association. I was doing a part-time internship. I kid you not, I found every single moment of my life was filled with something so that I could keep myself busy so that I didn't have to think about it. And I would also party really, really hard. 
And so all of that caught up to me when I was in my dorm room one day and I looked down at the body that I was living in, this container, this vessel that I was living in that was no longer mine. I was like, what is this? I gained a whopping 35 pounds while I was in college and I was like, I need help. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And then I went to see a psychologist, a school psychologist, and she uh, didn't really listen to what it was that I was going through, didn't acknowledge it. It, was, it felt like a quick in and out. It was like, okay, well, it sounds like you got depression, so let me write you antidepressant pills. And something in my intuition in that moment, even though I didn't know what it was, told me no. So I, I politely declined, and then I started to do a ton of research to figure out how I could feel better. And I started with food. I changed my diet. I started eating clean. I started working out. I started eliminating toxic relationships and friendships in my life that were no longer in alignment with where it was that I was at. I was plugging into like Lewis Howes at the time and like Tony Robbins. And at that time, Marie Folio was just starting to, you know, appear. And I was like loving everything that it was that they were doing. And I found some, some sense of, of healing and just watching these people make impact in the world. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to be that. But I didn't feel like I could get there because I felt this sense of, but I'm so depressed. So I started, I opened up an Instagram account and it was anonymous. And I started sharing about my journey with fitness. And I started showing like my, my, uh, my posts and my food and my body and the progress and everything. And I also had a blog and then I started noticing women and people commenting from all over the world, which at that time was like, really, it, it didn't happen. So it was weird. And they were relating so much to the story of just not feeling good. And they were like gaining so much motivation and influence in their life because the thing that I was telling them in my captions that motivated them was the thing that I was trying to tell myself. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really healing vessel for me. I decided to compete in a bodybuilding competition to commit to this whole fitness journey. And then it became a new extreme. Like this is a, the new way that I'm going to keep myself busy. And the ego is so freaking smart because it will always come up with all these different ways to protect you so that you can not do the real work and not mm -hmm. look inside. Mm -hmm. So then I filled up my, my mental space with thinking about, well, how many calories can I eat today? And how many, like, let me look at the macros on the plate. Let me go to the grocery store and study every label and um, make sure that I'm eating the right things mm -hmm. again. It sounds like it became a little bit obsessive for you. Oh yeah. Uh, and definitely it sounds like your current role of helping of helping these high achievers or high performers is absolutely helping the self of yesterday. Like you, you've done this. I mean, from the time you were a child, you've, you've found ways to fill up your entire life with those external uh, reinforcers of your worth so that you, yeah, didn't have to do the, the inner work. Yeah. And I want to talk about that term for a moment because, you know, sharing about your mom having a gambling addiction and, and having that father wound of abandonment later in your adolescence, but really the formative years, you were witnessing this conflict in your family. You were holding responsibility for parenting or, you know, um, kind of surrogate parenting your siblings. And you were already forming this belief system that like in order to kind of take up space in the world, like I have to earn, I have to earn my keep. I have to be good enough to hold everything together, right? So everything doesn't fall apart. Mm. When we talk about 
you said something earlier about the inner child. And I think that this is like one thing where I have written in one of my notebooks for podcast ideas, what the fuck is inner child anyway? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Seems like so self-explanatory. It's like, well, obviously it's like you when you were a child inside, but like, have you, if you have done inner child work for the people whose eyes just naturally want to roll right out of their head when they hear that, or who are just like, but seriously, like, what is that? Can you explain a little bit about what has inner child work been for you in like the simplest terms? And then like, if you've done any conscious reparenting, like, what does that mean? And why do we need to do it? Hmm. In the simplest term, your, your inner child is the version of you that was eight, nine, 10, you know, you're the younger version of you that was triggered by something or wounded by something. You can't pinpoint what that was. And there's, there's some kind of a trauma there. And we all have trauma of one way or another. Trauma is relative to you and what your experience was. So something that was traumatic to me might not be traumatic to you, right? But we've all experienced that as children in one way or another. And so when you're doing the inner child's work, it's really about revisiting that time and nurturing that younger version of you so that you can help your current version reach the future that it is that you want to reach. And this is why the meditation practice is so powerful because meditation isn't what we think it is. Meditation is a process of re-engineering our mind as if it's like a hard drive. So we're taking what's unconscious in our minds and we're bringing it forth into our conscious mind. And Dr. Bruce Lipton says that the unconscious mind, or you can also say the subconscious mind, is a million times more powerful than our conscious mind. And 95 to 99% of the time, we are operating from a place of our unconscious mind. And so from the moment that you were born, you started to record everything that was happening around you, including what your parents were doing, what society was doing, and you started adopting beliefs and you believed it to be true. And so there are habits and conditionings and beliefs that you have right now that you adopted from someone else that isn't even yours. So when you do this inner child's work, what you start to do is you start to acknowledge the times in your life when you adopted a belief that wasn't yours. Mm -hmm. And it's so powerful because you can take what's unconscious make it conscious so you're present and aware about it, but then you can transform that energy. So Albert Einstein says, that energy cannot be created or destroyed, but it can be transformed. So how can we transform this unconscious power that is literally controlling the way that we're living our lives and make it conscious and take that energy and transform it into creative energy? Mm -hmm. So through, for example, through the power of this unconscious mind and all the, the inner work that I've been able to do, I was able to use that energy, that pain, that depression, and find wisdom in it to be able to show up, develop this path as a meditation teacher and guide other people along the way. All we're doing is we're transforming energy. So Does that talk- make sense? Yeah. So you're, you're talking about using pain to transform energy. And you, you also said something that I think is really important because if this is new to you, or even if you've been doing this kind of work for a while, um, you know, there's 
so much. I mean, you just said 95 to 99% of our um, behaviors on a day-to-day are coming are driven by the unconscious, right? The unconscious is driving the bus. Mm-hmm. So how do we figure out what those are? And if you're listening to this, you know, one of the ways that you can do this is think about anything that you want to do or want to build or want to create or how you desire to feel And then immediately your mind will tell you the reasons why you can't, right? It'll say, well, you can't because you don't have enough money. You're not good enough. Other people are doing it better. You don't have enough education, whatever. Write those things down. Go ahead and write the thing that you want to do and then tell me all the reasons that you can't do it. And then Sandy, what you were describing is then going in and looking at the reasons why you can't do it and unraveling the story and inquiring first is this true? And then is this mine? Like, did this come from me or did this come from someone else? Where, where did I form this belief? Mm-hmm. And one thing that I have found in doing some of this work is that, you know, as you, it's called the observer effect in quantum physics, but as you start to look at something, more will appear. So if you have a story that you don't remember your childhood or that you don't, you know, that you don't know what happened there and and there there's all this inner child stuff is bullshit like when you start to look at it more will appear, right? And when you look at the reasons why you can't do something and then you start to you start to like kind of burrow into them a little bit or brush the dust off the surface and inquire like is this true? Where did this story originate? Where, when was the first time I started telling myself this story that I can remember, yeah. right? And then who did I learn that from, right? Who was I modeling it after? And what, and because it's probably not yours, right? Because none of these stories of our limitations are actually our birthright. Like those are, mm-hmm. not, those are not us at our, at our soul level. Um, and when you do this, when you look at these painful stories or when you look at the limitations, you're saying that we can use that to transform energy. And that happens because once we kind of get to the, the core of it, if you will, then we can flip it on its head and we can actually consciously start to create the samskara or the groove in our mind, yes, the pattern of the opposite, right? And this is like, if you guys have looked into affirmations or, you know, neuro-linguistic programming. I used to literally like roll my eyes anytime someone would talk about affirmations. Cause I'm like, yeah, I get like affirmations, whatever. Didn't start really trying to use them until last year. And when I consciously like put reminders into my phone, put the post-it notes on my mirror, started practicing affirmations every day, it transformed, I mean, very tangible things in my business. I'm talking, I have 10 clients at X dollar amount. My husband's back is healed from surgery and strong. I I mean, very specific stuff. I have booked my first speaking gig and then that was a TEDx, right? Like really specific stuff. So do you, um, do you feel like words, Thoughts and words are one of the ways that you use to transform energy. When, when you're helping people use their pain to transform energy, how are you doing that? What's the most helpful tool that you have? Because you say meditation, but if, and, and maybe it is. Yeah. If it's not what we think it is. 
Mm-hmm. It's bringing the stuff forward from the unconscious and witnessing it and being able to pull it apart. Yeah. And then what do you do after that? Right. So something that's so helpful after you do your meditation practice is, well, first of all, when you're in your meditation practice, you're observing your thoughts. And how often do you get to do that ever, right? Because you're constantly doing and you're not really observing what your mind is actually thinking. And so in the meditation practice, you're observing your thoughts and things are starting to come through really clearly for you. You might get things like downloads or ideas or visions, and it's really clear. So next would be to have a contemplation practice and to actually hit the pause button in your life and to look at the things that are coming up for you through your practice. And then journal. I love journaling because it helps me to process what's in my brain. And when I write it down and I'm looking at it, I feel like I get to be the observer now. I actually get to be the witnesser of my thoughts. And then I can see really clearly, wow, the reason why Sandy has such bad money beliefs and is and continues to hit these ceilings in her mindset and in her money or in her income is because she believes that money is evil and this came from a moment when through doing the inner child's work i realized that and this was through a letter that i wrote to money as well I found out that my reason for hating money had nothing to do with money at all. It was because one of those times when we went to Atlantic City and my mom, my mom was gambling, my mom left me in the room with my step-grandfather and my sister was also in the room as well. And when I did that work around that time, I was able to revisit that moment as if I was actually there. I could see Sandy when she was eight, what she was wearing, what her hair was like. I could see my sister. I could see what she was wearing and I could see him. I could see what he was doing. And I revisited that moment and I recognized that that was the the pinpoint of every decision that I've ever made or every way that I operate in my life was leading back to that point. So why did I have trust issues when it came to men? Because I didn't, just, I didn't trust men because I got sexually molested by my grandma's boyfriend. Why did I have these beliefs around money? Because money is evil. And if it wasn't for money, my mom would have been there to protect me. Why did I not have the relationship with my mom that I wanted to have? Because at that time when my mom was supposed to be there to protect me, she was out gambling. Why do I choose men that are like tall and buff and like Italian and like, you know, at that time, like looking like that? Because it meant that they would protect me against assholes like this man that sexually molested me. Every decision that I had made led me back to that moment when I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. So it really came down to yeah. like money makes me unsafe. Yeah. Yeah body. Yeah. Right. And then I realized it wasn't true. So when you're talking about transforming energy, it's really writing down the things that you're experiencing, being able to look at it without judging yourself from a, from a witnessing stand of view and then seeing what comes up for you. And part of it is being able to listen to your intuition, to be guided on what to do as well. So for me, I actually just found out about that this year. And I had been aware that I was I might've been sexually molested when I was younger, but I didn't know because again, the ego protects you and it's so good at doing that. But I was ready to, I was equipped with the tools and I was ready to do the work around that. So my intuition was telling me to travel. 
And so my partner and I took four months off and we decided to just be digital nomads and travel. And while I was in Bali, I had this awakening experience because I happened to be there on Yepi day, which is silent day. And the whole entire island shut down. There was no electricity. There was no Wi-Fi, no internet, no lights, no cars roaming around. You just had to be with you and your own thoughts and just observe whatever comes up the whole day. And wow. I hadn't done that before. So that was powerful for me. There was, there was so much that came up through that. And whenever you think that you, know, you practice meditation and you're conscious and you're aware, you can always be more conscious. You can always be more aware. That's just part of our human experience. So then after that, I, I started learning about my, um, you know, what that, ha what happened with my step-grandfather. And this was so powerful because our event um, in Ladies Align, we had an event called Align and Rise. It's a yearly uh, annual event that we have. And I told myself that if I'm going to ask women to come into this room and to be transparent and to be vulnerable, and if I'm going to lead and I'm, if I'm going to step on stage, I sure as hell better be transparent and vulnerable. So this entire thing led to me speaking on stage and sharing the story. And guess who showed up? <laughs> my mom and my dad, my entire family. Um, my mom and my dad have not talked to each other for 12 years. And he showed up in the room to support me because we had been going back and forth. And I started developing a relationship with him because I was in a place of so much healing. And they were together. They became friends. They're like great friends now. My mom's married. She's really happy. He's in a relationship, has a child. He's really happy. I literally feel like I broke a generational pattern right there. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I want to ask, it's so interesting to me that this came up because you know, you and I didn't plan on talking about this, at least not to my knowledge, but I've been really actively healing the wound of sexual violence in my life. Um, and in a similar way, uncovering things that I didn't know were there. And this doesn't necessarily mean you guys like, you know, people say, oh, you know, regression hypnosis and like remembering false memory. It's not, it's not any of that. It's actually mm -hmm. just, um, like you said, the ego is a powerful protective mechanism and then being able to witness events that did happen and actually see them through a lens of self-love. Um, mm. But this wound of sexual violence and sexual violence, gender violence, sexual assault, um, there it's coming up with every woman that I talk to lately, right? So mm. we have the Me Too thing and like, yes, I mean, we collectively have experienced um, oppression and this wound of sexual violence, which by which I mean, yes, sexual assault, sexual molestation, but also being um, silenced, um, being physically intimidated, being made small, being psychologically manipulated, being controlled, all based on the perception of a lesser sex, right? A lesser important person um, compared to, to men. So you said that this just came up for you this year. You just had this realization this year. Is that correct? Yeah. I've seen layers of it before when I was coming out of my depression and I was doing some work with my meditation teacher. I recognized it before, but there was only a layer of it that was revealed to me. I wasn't yet ready or equipped with the tools or the practice to actually heal it. And what was really interesting is 
I had to step away from my teacher and I made the conscious decision after contemplating to do that because there was a sense of, uh, there was a sense of codependency there. And I knew that I needed to listen to my own inner wisdom, like I was taught. Mm -hmm. And so I traveled and in the moment of traveling, I had no one else to be dependent on. And that's what gave me the space to do this kind of healing work. And, and then everything started showing up for me. And I felt like had I had the crutch of my teacher or other people or mentors, then it, I probably would have been way too protected to even do that work. But my soul was ready for it because I'm evolving in higher levels in my life and my business. And this, this thing is holding me back. And so when you can lift the rug up and look at all the things that you've been sweeping underneath it, that's where the real work is. Because that's when you're like, oh, wow, I had no idea that my closet has been stored with all these skeletons. Mm -hmm. When but you say listening to your own inner wisdom or your own inner knowing, to me, I, it, that is what the sacred feminine is all about to me. So you're talking about your teacher was a man, right? Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. is not man bashing, you guys. I love mm -hmm. men. Men, thank you for being who you are. Mm -hmm. um, but there are um, structures, patriarchal structures that exist in a lot of spiritual and religious traditions and in the yogic tradition for many, many, many thousands of years, it was a tra tradition that was passed from man to man, right? And so there's still, a, I would say more than remnants of that in that tradition. Um, there's such a parallel between your story and my story, because as I started to witness this wound of sexual violence, I went to the pastor of my church, which was a Baptist church. And I said, I, I'm, I'm not going to come anymore for a while. And he was like, why? And I said, it's nothing that you did. It's nothing that anybody here did. It's that I'm looking at how I have internalized the patriarchy and for me, only having a representation of God that's masculine and participating in that system, no matter how good your intentions are, like we can't deny that Western Christianity has been an oppressive institution and that women are one of the populations that have been oppressed. Yoga, we could say the same thing. So do you feel like you drew back from kind of the entire yogic tradition to do your own work, to uncover your own sacred feminine and listen to your own inner knowing? Or was it just like you needed to step away from that teacher? What has mm. this process been like for you? Mm. This, is so, this is so fresh and it's something that I haven't publicly talked about before. So I think it's interesting that it's coming up. I think that it was my teacher who I dearly love. I, I've known lifetimes before. I don't know what kind of a relationship we've had in the past, but I, I knew that he was meant to be my teacher the moment that I met him. And he has equipped me with such a dense, beautiful practice that has helped me to go through the darkest times and the darkest moments. And it will always fall back to that practice that he's taught me. However, what I'm feeling, and this is like the collective consciousness, is there's the rise of the, the matriarchy. And for so long, we have been living under patriarchal structures and ways of being. And I'm watching, I'm observing myself in the world, and I'm observing women in the world. And more women are becoming breadwinners. More women are making more money, breaking class, glass ceilings. And 
forsaking their own inner wisdom to match with what society wants of more women. And so what I see and what I feel is this shift of the rise of the matriarchy, which does not mean I'm not a fan of, you know, saying women are the future or like the future is female or, you know, because to me that sounds more feminist and it doesn't sound like it's equal to the energies of men as well. What I recognize though is the feminine energy that is all within us, right? Ida and Pingala. So our Ida energy is characterized by the moon and that's the feminine. The Pingala is characterized by the sun and that is the masculine. So we all have these feminine and masculine energies within us. And what I notice shifting in the collective consciousness is that we are becoming more into our feminine energies, meaning we need to learn how to receive. We need to learn how to nurture ourselves and how to listen to our inner wisdom because that's, that's our magic right there. And when we feel like we need to play a facade or wear a mask that isn't ours to please the, the concepts of society, that's when we start forsaking our own inner wisdom and that's when we manifest physical pain for me that physical pain of listening to my teacher and you know one of the things for me is when i first learned meditation and studied it i was like i'm being called to this i want to do this full time and what i was told was out of a place of love is if you want to teach meditation full time, like I just want you to know you're not going to make much money doing it. People don't teach meditation to make money and be wealthy. And even if you look in the history of our time, there's no meditation teacher that you would actually consider wealthy. But I had a love for business because I see business as a vehicle of service. And without business, the world would not exist. So it's an exchange of energy within business, right? So I saw myself teaching meditation and having it as a business. But I listened to this belief that you can't be spiritual and make lots of money. You can't be a meditation teacher and made lots of money. And for years, I had my corporate job. It wasn't, well, I worked for a sales company. I was making great money doing it. And I was teaching free meditation classes on the side. I had to split my energy and that didn't feel good to me. I felt like I was hustling in my masculine sales job, knocking doors. <laughs> and then going to my feminine energy of teaching meditation. And I felt like I was compartmentalizing my life, even though I didn't have to, but it didn't feel good to me. And I knew that I needed to walk away and be brave enough to listen to my intuition, to surrender to anything that doesn't feel in alignment, even if it means stepping away from my teacher for a moment. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. And I noticed that as soon as I did that, I started making more money. I started feeling better. I started to attract relationships that are lifelong friendships. I started to attract downloads and visions and ideas that were not being blocked from, you know, the, the, the energy, the masculine energy, because the feminine is just so flowing and creative. So yeah, that. Whew. <laughs> so if you had to give our, our audience three practical simple little golden nuggets, little pieces of advice, things they can actually do, actually change mm -hmm. their life right now to tap more into this alignment, more into this energy of receiving, how they can slow down to speed up. What three little nuggets would you give them? Mm. I want to go back to your very first question of when can people start recognizing that they're overwhelmed and they're doing too much? 
One is in your browser. If you notice that you have way too many tabs open, that's a reflection that you have way too many tabs open in the hard drive of your mind. So that would be a really good place to start looking at, okay, where, <laughs> where can I slow it down a little bit? Because right now these 30 browsers are open and Google keeps crashing. <laughs> There's a reason for that. It's the same thing that happens in your mind. Um, the second thing is when your environment is also, you know, super messy and you don't, you feel like it's out of place. Your environment is a direct reflection of what's going on in your mind. So right there, like when my home starts getting messy and out of place, that's when I'm like, okay, I've been moving a little too fast in my life and I need to slow down. And it happens because I'm human and you are too. Mm -hmm. So those are the, those are the things to practice awareness towards that. And then to begin to take these steps to slowing down, the first really practical thing that you can do is to just breathe. Even if you take, let's take three deep inhalations and exhalations right now. Inhale, filling your body, filling your lungs, filling your diaphragm and exhale. And then inhale. Listen to your breath as if you're hearing the sound of the ocean waves in between your ears. And then exhale. One more time, inhale. Allowing the oxygen to feed every cell in your body with love and exhale. That was less than 30 seconds. How do you feel, Amelia? So much like I just want to breathe. <laughs> like, forget this podcast. Let's go breathe. <laughs> yeah, so much yeah. better. It always amazes me. Always yeah. amazes me that, that such a short time can make such a shift in my state, my mental state. Yeah, it's, state. yeah. Yeah, it's so simple. So if you feel like meetings are stressing you out before you go into work, take 30 seconds of your time. It doesn't take a lot. And just breathe intentional, deep breathing and really imagine your breath, which is life force, which is consciousness feeding every cell in your body and just give it your attention and you start feeling better. That's so simple. It's so practical. And it's what you've been doing since you were born. Mm -hmm. And the second simple practical thing that you can do is to start doing more of what it is that you love. I can't stress this enough. That is the easiest form of meditation. That is the easiest form of practicing present awareness. That is the easiest form of being conscious. And when we are such high achievers, we focus so much on the work, the paying the bills that we forget to play. And when you focus on doing something that you love, and I know if you're listening to this right now, you're like, but I love my business, but I love everything that I do in my business. But right. But there's a part of you that also needs to nourish your soul. So can you paint more? Can you sing more? Can you dance more? Can you move your body more? Go out for a drink with your girlfriends, go sing karaoke, go book a random trip out somewhere, just play and do more of what it is that you love. Because when you get in that space, you forget that time and space exists. You're just lost in the moment and that's what your soul needs more of. And the third thing that you can do to start practicing more present awareness is to not be afraid of listening to your thoughts and honoring your inner wisdom. The truth is you have everything that you need within you right now, right now. 
And all you have to do is learn to listen to the voice of your intuition, those subtle whispers that come up. So you know when you're about to go do something and maybe you're, maybe you're about to go somewhere and your intuition is like, you should stay here for a moment. Don't leave just now. And then you don't leave. You stay in, you stay in your house. You go out and you go to the same, um, you go down the same street that you go down every single day and there's a car accident there. Mm-hmm. We've all had moments like that. That's your intuition whispering something to you. And we just need to learn to listen to it more because that's what provides the gap and the bridge of yoga to unite your outer thoughts with your, your own inner wisdom. And then you feel happier. You feel more content. You sleep deeply like a baby. Oh, that was the best when I was going through insomnia. Like I wasn't sleeping for five days straight and my teacher taught me meditation and it was only 60 seconds. I started implementing that into my daily schedule and I started sleeping like a baby. And I had to this day, not taking one, you know, one prescription for anything with, you know, depression that's amazing. or anything at all for that matter. <laughs> Even when I have surgery, I don't take pain medications, but that's me. Right. But it's, I'm just saying that there's such a power in you and what you have stored within you. And when you learn to listen to that, that's when you start opening up to receive. Another thing is open yourself up to receive more. When someone opens a door for you, let them open the door for you. When you're about to um, get on the airplane and you're lifting your baggage up and you're putting it above, let the man help you put it above, receive, 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 because how you receive one thing is how you're going to receive everything. And if you are not receiving um, in terms of taking care of you, then you're not also going to receive the income that you're looking for as well, right? Yeah. I'm I'm like, I'm, you've wrapped attention here. I'm so, um, just noticing like, what are the ways that I, if I've been resisting receiving in my life? And I think that's so valuable. And I think I'm just deeply impacted because I know so many people have scarcity issues, money issues. Right. And I think the biggest resonance that I've had with with you today is just that the correlation, you know, of your money story, of your scarcity story, of your ability to safely receive, it may not have anything to do with, with money. I mean, really it might, it might be just totally foundational, like something that happened so long ago around your personal safety or well-being. So I'm just, I'm getting all the downloads. We, we've got to, wrap it up because we could talk forever. But I, I want to know, Sandy, is there um is there a book that you have found most impactful in either your personal development or meditation journey that you can share with the audience for the Totally Stoked Book Club? Yeah, the the one book that has changed my life is the book that my teacher wrote and it's the Heart and Science of Yoga. Heart and Science of Yoga. Mm-hmm. Awesome. By Leonard Perlmutter. We will share that. That book has completely changed my life and I will still go back to it anytime that I need to. And it'll speak to me in a completely different way. That's how the scriptures always work. That's the (laughs) living text. And it's so practical too. That's another thing. 
So heart and science of yoga, you guys check it out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. If you guys have felt the connection with Sandy, I highly encourage you to get in touch with her. If you are on the East coast or you just want to travel for an incredible event, Align and Rise is happening next, uh, next May in Saratoga Springs, New York. You can get together with other, um, women who are working on themselves, working on their business, working on their, uh, their spirit. And um, in the meantime, connect with Sandy directly. Uh, what's the best place for them to find you on social and the web? I love hanging out on Instagram at iSandyVo. You can connect with me and all of my silly daily shenanigans on there. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook at SandyVo. My website is www.sandyvo.com. I have virtual matcha tea chats if you ever want to book a call with me there as well. And I'll send Amelia the link. Perfect. And you guys, if you've been listening to all this and you're like, okay, you guys, I'm convinced meditation is a thing. It's been on my to-do list for a hundred years. I'm going to like jump in. You have a free um, pause and play five-week guided meditation series that people can grab right now on your website, sandyvo.com backslash pause dash play, right? So mm -hmm. Go check that out, you guys. Meditation will absolutely change your life if, if you let it. Um, it'll transform everything because it will transform you and allow you to clear uh, the clutter and get back to the core of who you are. So Sandy, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your heart with us, for helping us to listen to our bodies, to take a moment to breathe. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing about the struggles in your own family and um, and really going deep with us and sharing uh, this wound of sexual violence and the way that that affected your money story. I feel like there is so much here for, for people to sit with. Um, and if you had to leave us today with the most powerful piece of advice you have, or just a few words of encouragement, what would you leave our listeners with? I'll leave you with this. Albert Einstein says that everything is energy and that's all there is to it. Match the frequency of the reality you want and you cannot help but to get that reality. So if anything and everything is energy, money is also energy. Your relationships are also energy. So your energy is your number one priority. And if you're resisting taking care of it, this is your sign to start slowing down so that you can speed up and accelerate in every area of your life. Thank you so much, Sandy. And thank you guys for listening. And we will see you guys on the next episode of Stoto Totally Stoked Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You're so amazing. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories, tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.